you're listening to the West Salem Foursquare Church Podcast. For more information and to plan a visit, go to wsfc.org. Pastor John, over the last, uh, last few weeks, has been talking about uh, this word Emmanuel, which means God with us. Emmanuel, God with us in the valleys of our lives. God, Emmanuel, God with us in the storms of our life. And the big uh, thing that we've been talking about in the month of December is that no matter what we go through, God is present with us. God is present with us in the storms. God is present with us in the valleys. God is pre- has been present in the midst of difficult situations from the beginning of time. And we see it laid out all the way through the Old Testament, the New Testament, into church history, uh, into natural history, that God is a very present help in our time of need. We see it as he's the, the, uh, the cloud by day, the fire by night with the nation of Israel as they're trying to find their collective identity. They're trying to follow the will of God and establish themselves where they want, uh, where God wants them. We see him as, as the fourth man in the fire with that story, the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, where he's literally in the midst of this fiery furnace with them and he's protecting them. He's, he's shutting the mouth of lions as Daniel has descended into a pit with, uh, with these lions. We see him as, as the calmer of the storms as with the disciples. They find themselves on a boat in the middle of a lake and we see that God is with us uh, in the midst of very difficult times, but Today I want to talk to you uh, about when Jesus doesn't come like we expect him to come in our valleys and in our storms. When Jesus doesn't come like we expect him to. In fact, there was a big idea that I would uh, want to submit to you. It'd be this, and you can write it down if you're a note taker, but it's this. It's the deeper rest found in Christ comes out of deeper revelation of Christ. Deeper rest in the midst of storms, in the midst of valleys, in the midst of hardship. That rest is found as Christ is revealed to us in our own life, in our own pits, in our own valleys. Matthew chapter 11, Jesus is talking to a crowd. He's he's just had an interesting interaction with John the Baptist that we'll talk about in, in just a minute, but he's... He's coming off of that interaction and he's talking to the crowds. And one thing you'll notice about Jesus is at, at times when he talks to the crowds, he'll, he'll do this thing in scripture that if you're not being careful, it's a little confusing, but he'll, he'll be talking to his father in heaven and having a conversation with him out loud in front of the people. And then, and then he'll just switch modes. You know, you could imagine his eyes above as he's talking to his father, then kind of lower to the crowds and he'll begin to address them. And he'll begin to talk to them. And many times as he's talking to his father, it's, an, it's a learning lesson for those that are in earshot of what he's saying. He's not just doing it because he feels like talking. Many times it's because he's trying to teach them a lesson. It's, it's the lesson we learn in, in John chapter 17 in his long prayer that's recorded of Jesus. But Jesus is talking to a crowd, but he starts off talking to his father. It says, at that time, starting in verse 25, at that time, Jesus said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned, and you have revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for this, I, for this is what you were pleased to do. All things have been committed to me by my Father. 
No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and those the Son chooses to reveal. And then it says, oh, his eyes begin to lower to the crowds, and he begins to talk to them, and he says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. you pray with me? Father, your word is a, a lamp to our feet. God, your word is, is breath to us when we are breathless. Lord, your, your word is, is truly life to us. Holy Spirit, we invite you to use your word to speak to us, to reveal who Jesus is, to show us how we are to live in the midst of unrest, in the midst of storms, in the midst of valleys. God, speak to us today in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Well, over the past week, inevitably, uh, some of us in this room have hosted family dinners or we've been hosted by other people. How many have hosted family dinners here? Uh, the rest of you are lucky, lucky, because you had the easy job. Here's, here's why I don't like hosting family things. It's not that we don't. It's not that I hate it. But here's what I don't like about it, is that within every friend circle, within every family circle, you have the reliable people, and then you have the people you have to text the morning of to remind them what time the dinner is, what they've agreed to bring, what time they've agreed to bring it, and please don't come with it uncooked because we don't have room in the stove because it's already being used. We have both sets of people in those scenarios, and it's just a control freak like me freaks out. Like, you have those people who you overcompensate for where you tell them that the event starts 15 minutes before it actually does. And then you ask them to bring a salad, but you buy a backup salad because you just don't know. And, and like, we show grace for those people. We, show, we, 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 we accommodate for those people. We have learned to work around those people in our lives because they're family and we love them. And we will just, we will just buy the extra salad and we'll just lie to them about what time the event starts and it'll be fine. Some people don't know how to be on time and some people don't know how to do what's expected of them in those scenarios and that's, that's okay. But what, what happens, what happens when it's the God that we serve who isn't on our time frame and isn't doing what we expected. Do we find that a little bit difficult at times to reconcile a life of prayer where we're relating to a God who we do love and we do want to follow and we do trust? When, when it comes to God, what I've noticed more times than not is that he is not on time. And when I say he's not on time, I mean he's not in my time frame that I would like things to happen. And maybe some of you are, are, are like that. Maybe some of you have had those circumstances where God hasn't come the way you expected him to come. He hasn't come on the time frame that you expected him to come. He's never been on time, according to me. What do we do in those circumstances? What do we do when we're in, 
anxious about our future, and it seems like he's asleep on the boat, as, as John talked about a couple weeks ago. I want to talk a little bit about that today because we will at some point face a conflict of interest when it comes to our own and his. We will at times face a, a, a conflict of interest when it comes to the timing of him and our own timing of our circumstances that feel desperate in the moment. And that pain is real, that anxiety is real, but that the fact that he doesn't work within our time frames is also real. I want to talk about the conflict there because what we do in those moments is that we are demanded of, to, for our own sake, to trust in his character, to lean into who he is. Like, go back to the, the, family's, the family dinner scenario. There's the ones that we trust to bring all the things and to be on the right time. When, when they're late and they haven't texted us, we start to create scenarios that give them the benefit of the doubt. Is that, is that right? Like we start to worry about them a little bit and we like, well, they must have a good excuse because they're usually like that. We trust in the character of the family member when it comes to the, the, the family dinner. We trust in, in the history that they've always been on time. And, and the same can be true on an even greater scale when it comes to leaning into God when he doesn't seem to work in our timing is that he's been faithful and we trust him. And I want to I talk about that for just a moment. And I want to talk about it in the context of, of this interaction that Jesus had with John the Baptist, we referred to. It's the beginning of this chapter, chapter 11 of the book of Matthew. I want to read verse 1 through 6. It says, after, in verse 1, it says, After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, he went on from there and to, uh, to teach and to preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent out his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who's to come? Or should we expect somebody else? Jesus replied, go back. Report to John what you see and hear. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. The good news is being proclaimed to the poor. And then Jesus says a very interesting statement. It's probably one of the more interesting statements to me in the whole book of Matthew. He says this, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Jesus is himself. Blessed are those who don't stumble on, a, on account of me. Now to understand this statement a little more, we need to understand who John was, John the Baptist. And John the Baptist wasn't just your average uh, Christian. There weren't a lot of average Christians at this point. This is pre-cross. But John the Baptist is, is Jesus' cousin for, num for one. When, when jo John's mom was pregnant with him, his mom's name was Elizabeth. When Elizabeth was pregnant with John, Mary, mother of Jesus, uh, coming to tell Elizabeth the, the awesome news that she was pregnant with the Messiah, walks into Elizabeth's house. And when she walks into Elizabeth's house, it says that John the Baptist, in utero, fetus John the Baptist, it says he leapt or kicked or whatever. Who knows what that really, like, he leapt for joy and was filled with the Holy Spirit as a fetus. That'll mess with your theology just a little bit when it comes to the infilling of the Holy Spirit. But he's there, and he's keenly aware of the presence of Jesus even before he's born. So here we have Jesus' cousin who's 
known about him since before birth, been aware of, of him. His spirit was understanding the things that were happening. And then John begins to give his entire life to paving the way for his cousin and Messiah, Jesus. So he goes and he speaks truth to political systems. He goes and he speaks truth to religious uh, leaders. And he begins to draw people around him and baptizing them for a repentance that is to come and preparing the way of Jesus. And he's giving his entire life for this. And then there comes this point where he, he, uh, he notices a guy named Herod, who is the king of this area that he is in, or the, 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 the leader. And um, Herod's... Herod's wife was his sister-in-law, and that was weird, and John the Baptist called him out on it, and then Herod puts John in prison. Herod can do whatever he wants at this point, but here we have a guy who seemingly has done his whole life pretty, pretty right. He's dedicated himself to the Lord. He's been the one the one PR agent, if you're going to use just plain language, of Jesus at this point, proclaiming the way. And, and now he's sitting alone in prison. And I can only imagine what he begins to think. The thoughts of being unseen. You know, why, why do I hear about him visiting all of these other people and I'm here? I can imagine him feeling underappreciated. I've, I've dedicated my life, and this is where it got me. I can imagine, can imagine him being very confused. John, much like the, many of the disciples, had this idea that Jesus was going to come and establish a, a physical kingdom, that they were going to come and overthrow the political and the, uh, uh, the religious systems, and they were going to establish a, a kingdom on earth. And I can imagine in his mind, he's probably thinking, as I follow Jesus, you know, I've been following him before he ever went to the cross. I'm going to be high up in this kingdom. And, and you can imagine the disciples, because of some of their interactions, having these ideals of being behind the wall and in the palace and dictating from this kingdom of all the things that are happening. And and now I'm just behind the wall of a prison while the king is interacting with just poor people and sick people. It's not how I expected. So what does John do? What does John do? Jesus doesn't come in his life the way that John expected it. What do we do when Jesus doesn't come into our life the way we expected him. For some of us, we think as we follow Christ that he's going to elevate our favor. We buy into the clickbait of certain preachers that say, you know, we will have no trouble if we just follow Jesus. And, and then we're in the midst of a storm. I hope that my response in those times would be like John's response. Because John's response is he grabs his disciples and instead of bad-mouthing the one that he served that got him into prison. He just says, I need, you to, I need you to just go ask him a question. I can't come to him. I can't draw near to him myself. I'm here in this prison. Please go and get word. Is he who we expected? Just confirm to me. All I need is his word. All I need is a confirmation that he is who he said he is. So he sends his disciples out, and they begin to ask him this question. 
he, instead of distancing himself, instead of throwing up walls, he begins to get really real with Jesus. Because the implication of this question, are you the one who they say, they say you are? Are you the one we expected? Is that I'm having doubts. I'm having struggles. There is a vulnerability to this question that is unprecedented in their time. There's a vulnerability of going to Jesus and saying, I'm struggling in the midst of my hardships. I'm struggling in the midst of my doubts. I have these questions for you. Jesus, I just need to know, will you, are you the one that I'm trusting in? And he's vulnerable, and he's honest, and he draws near. And Jesus is, sends him this word, and he, he says, in a nutshell, we read it earlier, all the stuff that Isaiah prophesied, all the stuff that's been said about me, it's true. It's being fulfilled in your midst. In my heart, the heart of Jesus, John, I hope, I hope you don't stumble because I didn't come the way you expected. You can almost hear an urgency in Jesus' voice. I'm not going to change the way I'm coming to you, but I hope you don't stumble in the midst of this. Expectations are interesting, aren't they? Because expectations within, within faith, we are a people of faith, and by nature that means that we are expecting things to happen. But expectations within themselves are vulnerable because they have the ability to be uh, unfulfilled. Expectations within themselves have an ability to be crossed. And uh, at this point, John is living in the reality of that. Jesus says these statements and then he sends disciples on his way, on their way. And then he looks at the crowd. The crowd heard all of this interaction. The crowd knows who John the Baptist is. The crowd is probably drawn to as many. Maybe many of them have been baptized by John the Baptist himself or one of his disciples. And now they're, now they're seeing doubt in the one that they followed. And, and Jesus turns to this crowd who may be feeling unrest at this point because they don't know how to process this guy who they put on a pedestal now asking questions. And so he begins to say, listen, listen, those questions, and I'm paraphrasing the, the next set of sta statements that he says about him, but he says, John the Baptist, those questions he asks, they're, they're okay. They're okay. John has an incredible ministry. No one on earth right now is greater than him, but when the kingdom comes, even the least of these are going to be greater than him. His questions don't faze me. His hardship doesn't face me. The, re the, the things that he's processing, they don't faze me. But then he looks at the crowd, and right before he says the statement we read at the beginning, he begins to uh, make some harsh statements. In an to boil it down, he basically says, my goodness, my miracles have been happening all around you for the last couple years. I've been doing miracles that if other nations had experienced them, they would have repented immediately. And yet, I'm good to you, and there's no change in your lifestyle, there's no change in your perspective. John is in the middle of a prison, and he's drawing near to me. 
you are in the middle of miracles and I can't get you to change your mind about the way that you live. And he's speaking to two very different crowds at this very moment. And it's in this moment with these two very different crowds that he begins to say to his father, they don't, they don't understand me and they don't understand you unless we reveal ourselves to them. And they're listening to this conversation and they're probably thinking, well, then just reveal yourself to us. It's that simple. Like, come on, you're God. And his eyes drop. And he looks at them. And he says, come to me. Come to me. All you who are weary and all you who are burdened, for whatever reason, he gives no qualifications. Whatever you're burdened with, whatever you're weary about. He starts off this statement. First of all, because there's Pharisees in the in the midst. Pharisees in the midst have a have a real strong doctrine. Basically, that you do better, you get better. You do spiritual things, you get better. The more activity you have, the more rest you should experience. There's a very workspaced. And he looks at, I can imagine him looking at one of the Pharisees in their robes and they're standing in the crowds and they're judging all this going on. And he's looking right at them saying, your activity won't lead to rest. Because activity is not where rest is found. Person is where rest is found. Come to me. Come into my presence. Come close to me. Because we all have places that we go when we're in unrest. Each one of us. We have vices. Our vices could be as far out as drugs, alcohol, you know, the things that preachers always say. And, you, know, you know, if that's you, like, stop, please. Um, I don't mean to just say it, but like, some of us also have our own vices. And they're equally as addicting. And they're equally as distracting. And they're equally as great of a substitute for the presence of Jesus as any of these other things that we tend to look at other people and what they're doing. And, and it could come through swiping, whether it's swiping up through a news feed, swiping up through a timeline, or swiping left for Tinder, whatever your thing is. It could be the screen in front of us that numbs our brain while we just let it wash over us. Could be distraction. Let's move, let's go, let's go, let's, let's do things. Let's get all this activity going. Hey, 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 let's go and do things. And, and we miss the moment where Jesus is saying, hey, your activity won't give you the rest you're looking for. Stop coming to my presence. And then he says, Take on my yoke. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. Take my, my yoke upon you. Those days, oxen, uh, if they were yoked unequally, like youth pastors always use, don't be unequally yoked when it comes to dating, but like, it applies to more things than that. Um, when, when two oxen are unequally yoked, they tend to stumble over each other. 
They tend to, to drag. There's one that should be in, the, in a different position than the other. They stumble over each other, which is interesting because when Jesus is approaching or is talking to uh, John's disciples, he says, John, I hope you don't stumble over me. What he's really saying is, I hope you don't stumble over your idea of me. I hope you don't stumble over your expectation of me. I hope, you don't I hope you don't stumble over who you think I should be versus who I really am. And then he comes back around full circle and he says, come to me, take on my yoke. In a yoke, oxen are yoked side by side and there's always a lead oxen and a subordinate oxen. The lead oxen carries the brunt of the weight and the lead oxen sets the tone and the direction of where they're going. And the lead oxen carries most of it. The subordinate uh, oxen's job, carry a little bit of weight and stay in step with the lead oxen. Do you know what our job is in the midst of our difficulties and the burdens that we carry and the, the weights that we carry and the hardships we go through in our life? We are to yoke ourselves to God and let him do the heavy lifting. And we just, as Paul writes in, the, in Galatians chapter 5, stay in step with the Spirit. Because he's the one leading the way. He's the one doing the heavy lifting. Our job is just to stay in step in fact, Paul also writes in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, that the Holy Spirit has been given us to help us in our weaknesses, to help us in our weaknesses. The word picture for the word of help is simply this one who comes alongside and bears a burden along with somebody else. If, a lot of times the Greek and Hebrew language were like picture-based words, and so there's these, these images that are associated with it, and it's like, some, it's like what will probably have to happen in the next week at your house is that you'll have to get rid of your Christmas tree. Now, some people's Christmas trees are obnoxiously big. And so for you who have the obnoxiously big Christmas trees, you probably didn't uh, pick, uh, carry them in yourself. Um, you're going to have to carry it out, your, uh, out also. What it looks like is that you get to carry the, the tip that weighs very little, and the Holy Spirit carries the trunk that has the bulk of the weight, and you both go along together, and you get to the destination. But but if you're not equally yoked, if you try to carry the bulk of the weight of your own circumstances, if you try to carry the bulk of, uh, of the hardship, of the anger, of the resentment, if you try to carry the bulk of the unforgiveness, if you try to, uh, the, the grief that happens, the, the remorse that happens, the guilt, the shame, the condemnation, if you try to carry that yourself, you are much like John was, or Jesus was warning John about, you will begin to stumble over your idea of what Christ should be in your life. And what Christ is saying is I need you to give me the heavy things in your life and let me lead the way. Let me carry it with you. Let me be the one who carries the bulk of this. And then he says not only to take my yoke, but he says to learn from me. Take my yoke. Learn from me. And you would think at this moment when he's talking about somebody who's burdened, who's carrying heavy weights in their life, who, who's weary, you would think that he would begin to talk about how he's God, the, all, all, the one who has all strength. Think that. 
He would think that he wants to remind you, I'm God. I'm not just the strongest. I am strength. But instead, he looks at them and he says, if you're weary and if you're burdened, take on the yoke, learn from me, because I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart. Why? Why why would he not talk about his strength? Because at this point, he's looking at a group of people who are still evaluating whether he is, whether Christ himself is approachable. It doesn't matter if he's the strongest one. It doesn't matter if he is strength. If you don't give up the heavy weights, if you don't think he's approachable, if you still think that, he's, that if you admit your weakness, if you admit your weariness, if you admit your burdens, if you admit that you don't have it all together, if you can't approach him for that, then his strength is useless because you won't, we still have a tight grasp to what he wants to hold. We're still trying to be the lead oxen. So in this moment, he doesn't tell them, I'm, I am strength. He says, I am humble and I am gentle. I'm not going to reject you. You see what happened with John the Baptist over here? Yeah, I didn't, I didn't give shame and condemnation to his disciples to bring along to the prison. I answered him. I encouraged him. I, I, I spoke life into him. And then I sent him on his way. I didn't rebuke him over there. Do you get it, guys? Over, uh, I'm the same with you. I'm approachable. I'm humble, I'm gentle, you can come to me with your stuff. And he chooses at that moment to reveal that thing because that's exactly what they needed in their moments and it's exactly what we need in our moments when we are weary, when we are burdened. Yes, we need to know that God is strength, but more than that, we need to know that he is a God who is approachable, who has been tempted by weakness yet without sin. He is the one who, will, who has come to earth. He is God with us who endured all the temptations that we do yet without sin. And he is not going to push us away when we come to him and say, I am burdened and I am weary. Will you help me? He chose in that moment to reveal that to them because that was what was needed. In your circumstances right now, what do you need him to reveal about himself? You might not even know, honestly. Like in that moment, they probably would have thought, well, I need to know you're strong, but no. I, he revealed himself in the way they needed to know. That's why we come to him first. We don't come to him with accusations. We come with questions, like John did. We come to him asking, are you the one that we're expecting? Please tell me about yourself. Tell me, tell me what I need to know in this, in this circumstance. I think I need to know this. And then he might come with his curveball and say, no, 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 I, I am that. But, you know, I'm, here's... Here's the revelation that brings the rest to your soul. But we don't know it until we silence ourselves. And we don't know it until we pause. And we don't know it until we listen more than we speak. And we don't know it until we, don't, until we drop our assumptions about him. When we come to God without assumptions, when we come to God without wanting him to say the thing that we want him to say and we're not going to leave until he says the thing that we want him to say because uh, that's prayer. Like imagine, imagine your spouse or imagine your friend being that person. Like, tell me I'm beautiful. You're beautiful. Uh -uh. Well, didn't mean as much. 
<laughs> God's going to reveal himself to you. God wants to reveal himself to you. God wants us to slow the pace of our life down enough in the midst of our, our, our valleys, in the midst of our storms. As long as we're willing to listen. And my challenge to us today is, as we go into the new year, let's pause. I know we say that a lot because it's like the name of our journals and all that kind of stuff and, and all that, but like beyond the marketing, beyond the gimmick, like for real, pause. Pause in the midst of your valleys. Pause in the midst of your storms until you sense the tangible presence of God sitting with you in the midst of your mess. And then pause a little longer until you feel your heart begin to change. He reveals more about himself not to make us small, smarter, but to change our heart. Pause long enough in his presence that your heart begins to change. Pause long enough until the words of these pages jump off as the Holy Spirit begins to speak to you about what he wants to speak to you about. Pause long enough that you feel rest in the middle of the storm it takes time. It may take early mornings. It may take late nights, especially if you have kids. But it's worth it. It's worth it because you're losing sleep anyway. Like, let's. It's worth it because we're worried about it anyway. If we can learn to pause, if we can learn to find rest in Him. We'll experience rest even when the answers don't come because he doesn't answer every question. That's why we trust in his character. That's why we trust in who he is because questions will go unanswered. At times, circumstances will go unchanged. But he is still good and he is still faithful and we can still lean on him even when Things don't seem to be going our way, and even if we don't have what we expected. Can I pray for you? Um, let's bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment. I want to I pray for us. Thanks for listening to the West Salem Foursquare Church Podcast. For more information and to plan a visit, go to wsfc.org.